Kreusel. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcasts. I'm Stephen Hedges. This week's guest will be well known to all those who follow rugby in Wales. Sean Holly has been a regular analyst on the BBC Scrum 5 programme, covering all the Welsh internationals and the regional game. Probably less well known about Sean is that he was an excellent schoolboy cricketer who could count, amongst others, Robert Croft as a contemporary. He's also been a regular player, administrator and now president of his local club, Tata Steel, and he's a very proud member of that club. I caught up with him in his home village of Cumavon. The recording took place in the beer garden of the Brit pub with the constants of the River Avon and Birdsong for company. Unfortunately, the breeze has affected the recording from time to time. I hope this doesn't spoil your enjoyment of listening to Sean talk about his cricketing life. I, I was looking to find a little bit about you, obviously, and um, there are lots of words to describe you. Rugby player, rugby coach, pundit, analyst. I couldn't find the word cricket anywhere in any, yeah. any associations or any kind of websites or information. Tell me a little bit about <coughs> being born, growing up, and where and how cricket t- sort of came into your life? Yeah, it's quite disappointing actually that I suppose uh, I played my cricket before the advent of social media, perhaps I don't know, but I, I, I grew up here in the village of Carmarthen. I went to Dufferin School, which is in Margam. So we went to Carmarthen Junior School here. And then after junior school, so the, the, the suburbs of Bagland, Samfields, uh, in and around Potova would go to a, a school called Glanavon and if you were from Bryn, Comarvon, Margam, Tybach, you'd go to a different school and our PE master in different school was the late John Bevan who was uh, outside half of Wales, played for the Lions and at the time we were in school he, he was the coach of Wales rugby team but he was also an avid cricketer, opened the batting for Neath Cricket Club, scored centuries renowned. Um, and I'd always played cricket, I always had an appetite for cricket as a youngster. We'd play in the street, we'd play on the drive. We actually used to play on the roundabout just by my parents' uh, house. Where it was a great little wicket, you know. Um, not as many cars on the road back then, but uh, yeah, just had a, an appetite for cricket. And John Bevan picked up on this early on and really got me into it, um, would teach me, would send me to West Glamorgan Trials um, and I got picked up very early on. In the village of Carmarthen here we, we, we never had any junior cricket but there was junior cricket at the Steel Company of Wales, British Steel as it was then, which is just across the road from Dufferin School and Keith Bradshaw, another former Wales centre, was also uh, my maths master and both he and John Bevan, they pushed us, uh, any, any talented cricketers, across the British team because they had a junior section. A guy called Doug Snook um, would be in the junior section. And, and that's where my proper cricket started, really. I started playing at 12, maybe, you know, club midweek junior cricket. Uh, it's Britain Ferry Steel, Ferry Town, Baglin, you know, uh, all of that. And, and I started to get picked up then by the South Wales Junior League uh, at a young age. I think I played for the South Wales League at age 13. And then John Bevan pushed me to West Glamorgan Schools Trials where I started getting picked up at age 14 and 15 and it sort of just escalated from there, uh, getting into representative cricket. And what about family, Sean? Was there a cricket connection with family? Yeah, my, 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 
only my dad played a bit of recreational cricket. He was a left-handed bat, he, but not not to any standard. Uh, the the biggest connection, perhaps, was my mother's brother Tony Edwards. He played for the old Rafa and British Steel. But Alan Rees, my mother's first cousin, obviously renowned opening batsman for Glamorgan, um, cover uh, specialist cover point fielder, twelfth man for England, outside half for Wales, rugby played for Leeds. So, you know, growing up, I had a connection there. But it's quite ironic, really, that uh, when I started again picking up in the junior ranks, I used to be sent over to Neath Cricket Club Nets, where Alan Jones would coach, just along with Tom Cartwright. And, of course, Alan and Alan Reese were best of friends. They opened the batting together, they shared rooms together on tour. And uh, so my dad actually highlighted to Alan Jones the connection and I, I think he had a bit of a soft spot for me ever ever after that you know and what were you a, a batsman or a bowler or? I, I can remember starting out just running up and bowling and batting I loved batting but John Bevan I bowled once in the we had two old nets in different school and I bowled once and I I was an avid watcher so I was one of these kids who would watch a test match with a, a blank bit of A4 paper, I'd draw a circle, two wickets, and I would, you know the wagon wheel, I'd draw my own wagon wheel, I'd watch every ball of a test match, and I would draw that, so I would watch and follow and so on, and um, I would watch spin bowlers, so I, I must have bowled a ball in a net, and I turned the ball, and he said, right, that's it, you're going to be a, an off spinner, so I started, he started teaching me to off spin, and uh, I developed that, but I was always wanted to be a batsman, so I was a batsman off spinner. Um, in my junior days, and uh, ironically, it wasn't my batting; it was my perhaps my spin bowling that got me into some representative honours at 15, 16, 17 year old. You know. And presumably, your rugby was developing at the same time. How did the two things sit together? Was it quite comfortable, sort of rugby in the winter, cricket in the summer? Or? Uh, actually, ironically, it was it was soccer. I was I was a soccer player. My dad was an apprentice with Leeds United in his uh, schoolboy days, and I was playing here in Carmarthen Boys Club. Then I went to play for Avon Lido, and I was picked up by Cardiff City. I was going to Cardiff City. My dad used to drive me there, and I was playing at the time, um, maybe one ga- one game midweek soccer, two games on a weekend soccer, plus your rugby in school and club. And then cricket nets in the winter on a Sunday over in Neath, you know, with Tom Cartwright. And then it got to the summer season and I just played cricket, cricket, cricket. Because there wasn't much of an overlap then in, with soccer and rugby like there is now. You literally played soccer or rugby or both in the winter and cricket in the summer. So there wasn't too much of an overlap until I got a bit older. I got sick of soccer, if I'm honest. I never quite made it into Cardiff City. I never made it into the, the Welsh schools later on so, and rugby was my passion as much as I loved cricket rugby w- was be- was becoming my passion and um, it did sort of take over because I was becoming a bit reticent of the long net sessions in the winter you know what I was training so I did I went to Loughborough University and I tried to pursue a bit of cricket but rugby had just just consumed me really prior to going to <coughs> Loughborough I did a gap year in Australia because my other, my mother's other cousin, who is Alan Reese's first cousin as well, this guy called Keith Barnes. Now he emigrated from Portalbot, age 14 with his parents. He went on to become the captain of the Australian Rugby League team. 
Um, and then he came over as team manager of the Kangaroos and said to me, look, why don't you come over and live with me, play some cricket, play some rugby? So he, so I, I went and he took me down to Ramwick Cricket Club and I started playing for Ramwick Cricket Club for a while. Ian Austin, the old Lancashire all-rounder, England one-day player, was, was attached as the pro to Ramwick then. And that, that again opened my eyes to the standards of cricket because Australian cricket is, well, back then, certainly was really strong, third, fourth grade. Now, I was the captain of Welsh under-16s, been, been played for Glamorgan seconds a couple of times. I couldn't get in the third team in Ramwick. You know, the standard was, was really high. Um, so all of, all of those things with regard to cricket, really, plus the longer hours in the field and that, and rugby probably sort of uh, my interest waned a little bit but although I always have played for my home club and that's British Steel Tartars is now and is, is that uninterrupted I mean throughout all of your kind of your rugby coaching and uh, and all of that did you still retain a little bit of up until probably the early 2000s I was playing regularly in the first team down at Tartar Steel um, scoring runs, taking wickets, taking catches, but then as I became a professional rugby coach, that time just went because summers took on tours pre season. And uh, if you look at the statistics board now, you know, I, I regret it a little bit because I could have played so many more games, you know, I, I, I missed out. But I've stayed in touch, you know, I, I think I was the first player last season to achieve. An appearance in any one season in the first, second, third, and fourth. So you know, I'm I'm the president of of Tata Steel Cricket Club and have been for a number of years. So I'm quite proud of that. And it's the it's the first and only cricket club I've ever played for. So I'm pretty proud of that. And um, you know, I have, I have a huge attachment. And of course, Alan Reese played there. So he still has the highest batting average in the history of the club. So. Let's talk about Alan. Um, what are your memories of him? How, how, I mean, did you spend a lot of time with him, chatting about the game and sport generally? Yeah, uh, well, my mother's family are really close, quite a large family, so yeah, family get-togethers. Um, I mean, as a, as a youngster, I was like sport and so I think Alan had uh, quite a strong affinity with me. He'd always, you know, ask me how things were going, this, that and the other, and I found him intriguing because he was a very humble sort of guy, he never spoke a lot about it unless he was asked. Of course, I was the, the type of youngster that would ask him, you know. Um, and of course, he then became a, a, an over 40s Welsh squash champion, so I started playing squash and I'd see him down the Avonlado. As I was playing football down there, I would bump into him. And he was the legend that not a lot of people in Batalba knew about, you know. But if you look at his resume and what he achieved, he sportsman for the time so you know people of my age and younger wouldn't recognize him so much but my dad and my mother and my my mother's brother the bigger generation spoke so highly of him so like I warmed to him and I, and I went up actually Keith Barnes I mentioned then he came over with the kangaroos to play Great Britain we went up my dad and I and Alan and Val to Wembley together so I you know I spent some time with him there and and he'd always see me family do's, and I would always migrate to him to sit down and talk and ask him questions about, you know, what was it like facing quick opening bowlers and uh, fielding in the slips to, um, to 
Overledge, you know. Uh, and of course, as I got to know Alan Jones, asking him about Alan, you know, because I always wanted something on Alan Jones when I went to Nets, you know, the, the Ranji, as they would call him, would, would tell me. So, oh, I loved him the bits, you know. Uh, it's, it's real sad that he's passed away, but um, at least, you know, he's left a huge legacy. And uh, his passing has, has at least made some people take a look and see what he achieved. Well, I didn't ask, but when we were talking about uh, being a spin bowler, a batsman, did you have any uh, first-class players that you kind of uh, followed or mimicked or, or analysed yourself? To? Yeah, I, I distinctly remember. Um, I got into the Welsh Cricket Association and the 16s team. Tom Carter and Stuart Owen and uh, we were on camps, various camps to get selection and uh, they gave me a videotape of John Emery and Abdul Qadir. I never forget it, it was the first time I'd ever seen a split screen where they were showing John Emery's off break and then his arm ball and how the action, you know, you couldn't distinguish between the action. And of course, also in, in, in that video were the the real hard and fast MCC coaching points for an off-spin bowler, you know, getting close to the stump, getting high on your front foot, looking over your front shoulder, how to grip the ball, make sure you turn around an axis and finish with a follow-through, keeping your eyes square. All those things I, I remember now as, a, as, a, as an analytical sort of coaching person. I can see it vividly now. You know, I was intrigued by the Abdul, Abdul Qadir when they showed his his leg break and his and his googly. Um, so I suppose John Embry in the first instance was was somebody. I always remember watching him and Phil Edmonds bowling in tandem for England. You know, I, I enjoyed that. I loved watching Shane Warne, even though he's a similar age to me. I, I loved later on in life watching Shane Warne. But I suppose in the early days it would have been. Like John Embry, yeah. And were there any Glamorgan players that at that time? Were we, were we talking about the end of the eighties? Yeah, nineties. Yeah, mid mid to late eighties. Um, so I used to I used to like watching Alan, Alan Lewis Jones, Jeff Holmes, Matthew Maynard was was a big one. Um, also, my godfather's father was John Hopkins. I opened the bat in Ponty. Uh, so he used to get me uh, cast off uh, Green Nichols bats um, and it was again quite ironic when I became captain of the 16s I, I got a deal with Green Nichols you know um, and that was huge as a youngster like David Hemp who was in the same team as me he was Gunnar Moore um, but for some reason I, because of John Hopkins' association giving me the odd bat I wrote off to um, to Grey Nichols, explained who I was, this and the other, and they gave me a, a sponsorship for, for the season or the two seasons, whatever it was. So yeah, you know, John Hopkins was 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 again an influence. I remember uh, John Bevan taking us down to watch Glamorgan against, I think it might have been Sri Lanka or Pakistan or St Helens. You know, I remember the scorecards and we were marking off as kids, those sort of things. Um, you know, I suppose just about caught a bit of Javid Meandad, you know, when, when he was there. But then, you know, latterly again, at, well, not latterly for Glamorgan, but 
Viv Richards coming to Glamorgan, he was one of my, I used to watch Viv Richards and think, wow, you know, this guy's Superman. Loved him, loved Ian Bolton. The rough spinner, of course. Well, yes, I'm of sort, <laughs> of sort. Um, but the fact when he came, Ravi Shastri before him, when, when Viv came to Glamorgan, I was a lot older then, but it was like, wow. Because I'm really friendly with Robert Croft, because Robert and I were sort of nip and tuck. He was David, I was West Glamorgan, similar sort of age. He was always better than me, and I always joke that he's, he uh, he made my career as a rugby coach because it wasn't for him, you know. So, yeah, watching Robert then, his career develop was fantastic. So, yeah, lots of, lots of bits, really. And the club here always been some part of your, your life? Oh, massive part, massive part, as I said, because... I would say that my mate, all my mates who I played cricket with back then, they're all older than me. They're all my best mates because I was talented enough to get into their first team as a 13, 14 year old. And I stayed there then for the next, I don't know, maybe best part of 30 years, you know. So you people like Paul Donovan, who is, no, who is now plays for Wales over 50s and, and runs that. Peter Doyle, who plays for Wales over 60s, <clears throat> a left arm spinner. There's uh, an over 70s as well, you know that. Well, uh, he's probably aiming for it, Doyle, you knowing him. People like that, Hugh Griffiths, an opening bowler, Paul Wood, an all-rounder captain. <clears throat> Those guys, you know, helped me mature and grow up, you know. they. I, if I'm to think back, see, they, I, they bought me my first pint. I went for my first curry. I went on my first tour. They taught me to shave, you know. I went to my first shower. You know, we, you know, you talk about kids, hygiene, values, decorum, um, teamship, leadership, on-field attitude. Those guys helped mould me, you know. Obviously, my parents did, and the rugby teams, the soccer teams I played in, and coaches I had. But those guys helped me grow up. It was a great environment to be in, you know, and, and they're still my mates now. And I guess a cricket club is often a place where the generations come together. You know, you can have a player in his 40s yeah. or 50s playing with a young 15, 16 year old in, in the team. And Absolutely, you know. Yeah, you know, and a lot of those boys are giving back now in a coaching sense. They play in the thirds or fourths with their sons. Um, Peter Doyle, in particular, has become um, the club coach and he's brought the current first team through. They're all in their late 20s, early 30s now, and he. He's produced several teams that come through to sustain the club, uh, and they are now going onto the committee and assuming roles. It's it's a really important uh, part of the community down there <coughs> because, as I say, you know, even Kamar, as we sit here in Kamarva now, there's there's no senior cricket team, let alone junior cricket team. So, had I not been elbowed over by John Bevan and Keith Bradshaw to go and into into Tata Steel as it is now. I mean I may never have had that, you know. So you know we, we do fundraisers. I have a golf day that I run for the club. We run a, a variety three, four nights on a Christmas, a variety show that all the 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 players, the members get involved in, sells out. It pays for our groundsman, pays for our boiler. So all of those things, you know, our pavilion's been transformed because all the boys muck in and do all the painting and the building, and you know, it it is pretty incredible, really, and it just goes to show what, what club sport can do. And to you, you were saying it, it's more British steel than Tartar steel. 
the relationship with with the company goes back a long way too yeah we consider ourselves SCO SCO boys that was the original name of the steelworks steel company of Wales SCO and if you talk to any of the other clubs in any sport in the town of Portalbert it's SCO it's transformed over the years it became British Steel it became Chorus now it's Tata Steel it's Indian owned but the people in, in, in our area it's SCO Steel Company of Wales I'm a SCO boy you know and and that again is something that sticks and uh, we, you know the boys who play there still there are quite proud of so yeah and, it, and it's it's quite isolated because it's down on Margam Fields there in the end of British Steel play, or SCO play Tata Steel playing fields you know not just off the crematorium turn off of the M4 so that, you know there's no real community around the club so we have to work hard to draw people down there because the sports and social club has, has had to fight to stay alive as, as the steel industry has sort of wavered over the years you know two things I, I kind of wanted to ask you and you've kind of hinted at it already you're a very analytical sort of person that's I mean that's your profession big part of your professional life mm. how much of that analytical stuff has stayed with you through your cricketing days. you still think a lot about the game when you're playing or when you yeah or oh, big time big time um, I find my, I've been to internet this, this winter and I find myself there's been some younger boys there I'll find myself I did my coaching badges early as a youngster early on coming through and did some coaching on Sundays you know in my early 20s but I still find myself now picking up on technical things if I bat I'll ask boys to have a little look at what I'm doing I'll ask them to film me um, I've seen me take a video camera in and uh, I, I put uh, some of the officers of the club through some analysis courses uh, and gained some software and iPads where they can use basic coaching tools to, 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 to use for the kids so yeah I think that's that coach is in me you probably sense that you know that always want to help and show I'm not afraid to say you know you're leaning over or you know get get your foot to the pitch of the ball or you know get your front arm up you know I, I'm always analytical looking and, and things like that so and that's that's probably in a lot of sports as well do you remember any key points for you as a developing cricketer any key moments and interventions thinking of someone like Tom Cartwright for example yeah. do, you, do you remember anything that kind of really oh, yeah. stuck with you as a as yeah. part of your development yeah huge we played Scotland uh, as Wales and uh, 15 16s I batted six or seven we, we tried to chase down about 171 80 we were in trouble I went out and I got the winning runs but there had been it had been a, a shower riddle day and I went to bat with no spikes on and I slipped a couple of times turning for twos and threes and I run in there was a decent crowd and they clapped off raised the bat and all that came in the change room and he absolutely roasted me Tom straight away Tom roasted me for not wearing spikes never want to see you not wearing spikes batting again so in my moment of glory Tom nailed me to the wall you know um, but he was a disciplinarian and you know he was he was really really good I I think I said this to Alan Jones at Alan Reese's funeral um, I said to him you know how impressionable you are as coaches on young people and how things stick and um, he said oh you know I said you won't know you wouldn't believe I said the impression you had on me and as I walked away from him I said 
head leading shoulder and he burst out laughing like that as if to think Sean you're 51 we're talking 36 years ago more maybe and you still remember that you know I knew that was in his mind I see the glee on his face but it sticks with me head leading shoulder so if you lean over in, in your back uh, you know or you you wouldn't quite get to the pitch of the ball and you'd lean back that was his phrase head leading shoulder so in other words move your head to the ball your shoulder and then your foot will follow and I use that you know so you know using basic front foot coaching you put a ball down for a youngster and say right put your foot to it okay so there's where you need to get to but now keep your feet rigid to the ground and just move your head as if you're gonna fall over and watch where your foot goes so you literally like right there it is you literally go so that's where my foot needs to go and that's what you, you saying. You don't see that much movement in test cricket no, these days. No, no, I'm talking, you know, you're talking mid-80s, and now they're, they're moving back, and they for time. But that was the old MCC way, like, you know, and, yeah, I distinctly remember that. Um, there's another moment that sticks in my mind. We played uh, Tondi Cricket Club. I opened the bat with Robert Croft. It was a pre-tour friend, friendly. So they put me and Crofty into... Um, to get some bat in and I run Robert Croft out <coughs> I say I turned him back he got run out early in the, in the innings but I went on to score 70 or 80 to win the game and I remember Tom again saying forget about the run out but if you hadn't gone on and scored those runs then it would have been double trouble you know so you've been that disappointment or that frustration that embarrassment you've been it and you've pushed on and, and finished it off so I remember that what I, I also remember Alan Jones going in the back always at the end on a Sunday and all the boys would run in as fast as they could try and bounce him and this that and the other and he'd always he'd always pull it anything slightly short he'd pull it just in front of square just wide of long on in the air and I, I remember this right and then we go hey caught caught and he would always say, there's no man there. When you think about it, when you open the bat in as a left-hander, the standard field would be like 6-2 or whatever. You'd have a square leg and a, and a long on, or a mid-on, sorry. And there'd always be a gap in mid-wicket. So early in his in as an opening bat, he'd pick up on that straight away. Anything short, I can bat, pull it in there. I, these are the things that stick in my mind, you know. Unbelievable. It's uh, never really thought of it until now. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to ask you, and I mean, you're a, a, a clear example of, in Wales, sportsmen seem to be good at a whole series of, of sports. Um, and sometimes people think that's an old-fashioned thing, that you know, back in the 50s and 60s, they were rugby players who were cricketers. And in modern times, I think you can look at some of the rugby players that, that could have had cricket careers. And um, what, what do you think are the... What are the transferable skills? What's going on that, that well, makes a good rugby player also a good cricketer and, or a good footballer? And you know, hand-eye coordination is, is is a big one. You know, I think um, I when I coach the Ospreys, we we take cricket, bat, and ball. We take uh, tennis rackets, tennis balls. I fire tennis balls at them for catching. So subtlety, cradle balls in. You know. Um, 
high balls, bang to the bat, transferable skills for back three rugby players under the high ball, you know, those those are hugely transferable. Um, spatial awareness is massive, so we think if you know, spacing people out, ball goes, who goes, who goes in to field the ball, communication is a massive thing, particularly when you're batting with a partner. That that that's transferable. The big biggest thing is the I've always been big on this is the is one the teamship, the camaraderie, but the understanding each other's roles, being able to back each other up in certain roles, knowing your role, whether that's your principal run scorer, you're in new batsman comes in, or your slip fielder, or you're backing up a cover fielder, whatever that is. That's massively transferable in team sports for me. And then coping with pressure. So that, that's been a huge transferable thing. So it's one thing being under high ball as a fullback, when you've got people bearing down on you in a crowd. There's nothing like batting. Pressure situations I always found really just had it today playing golf. You know, I had a I had a putt on the seventeenth, I had to hold it. And there's nothing on it other than a friendly handshake. I, I felt the pressure, and you know what? I loved it. And so that's that's the sort of thing. I think you got. I think that's what sports people revel in: competitive animals. And yeah, so it's, so it's that. But yeah, lots of the technical stuff as well, particularly hand-eye stuff. Yeah. I guess one of the other big important parts of any sporting club is maintaining a memory of of what's gone before. Yeah. I mean, is that important to you with the club that you kind of? And you've already mentioned how important it was to remember Alan and his contribution. Um, to remember kind of what's happened and where where kind of sport has come from, yeah. and how it's played in a, in a community like this. It's, it's legacy, you know. It's, it's legacy. So we have all of the. I think um, British Steel Cricket Club wasn't formed in 1957. That's when the Steelworks came. So it's it's quite a young history. So therefore, it's very important that we, you know. We recognise it. So, when you walk into our pavilion, all the club records are there. First wicket stand, second wicket stand, right back to 1957. I think Alan Durban, the former Cardiff City manager, still holds the opening wicket stand record. Things like that. Like I said, Alan Reese still holds the highest average, the highest batting average for the first team. But they're all there, they're all listed there, you know, uh, the history of leading with takers, runs, catches, stumpings, you know, all of those things. It, it's massively important if they, if we've ever won anything, whether it be Division 4 or Division 1, you know, the, the plaque is up on the wall, you know, the team photos are up on the wall. If we've been on tour, the memories, the fun times, they're up there on the wall, you know legend and stories are passed down of trips, tours, hundreds, five wicket halls, whatever. It's massively important, you know, when I coached the Ospreys, 2003, our inception, no brand, no team, no history, constantly making history and reminding of the short history. All of a sudden we're 20 years in and the players that play for the Ospreys now, they don't really know too much about the history in those 20 years old I think it's massively important this last week was the first players reunion they've ever had you know and it was organised by ex-players so it's incumbent on us I think to 
<clears throat> to recognize history, you know, to live up to it. And you know, the All Blacks are a classic example. The England cricket team, the British Lions, having a number, you know, to recollect those things. If you if you score hundred or, or you take five wickets, you know, it goes up on the honours board. I think for me, they are things as a stato, an analyst, a historian, a custodian of the game, whatever game it is. I think it's really really important, you know. But then again. I'm a mem memorabilia freak, you know. I've still got my Wales under 16 cap. I got my, I got the medal that I won. Um, I got the photographs up in my trophy cabinet. So I don't. I think it's important. Got any of those bats? I have. Yeah. Tell you what I got. I got my first ever green nickel scoop. It's in bits. Well, I say it's in bits. The outside edge is probably in bits, but. I've still got it, and then the second grey nickels I had was a, a Dyna Drive. What a bat that was! Double grooves in the back. I used to play with about uh, 2.10. Uh, the decent strong back lift, very very correct strong front arm. Uh, my timing was really good, so I just needed something a little bit weight forward, if you like, and, and, a, and a touch heavier. Whereas a lot of boys about 2.7, 2.8, mine was always 2.10, just a touch heavier because I like to hit the odd big one, you know. <laughs> I got those two, yeah, Dyna Drive and the, and the, and the scoop, Green the scoop, wow. Yeah. And your family, your kids, have they followed in footsteps with the cricket or? No, they both, I got two sons and a daughter. Um, both sons uh, had a go and played. They, the, my middle child Ryan uh, played for Western Morgan at under 14s, 15s. Uh, never really pushed on, never had an appetite really. Um, my daughters played a bit of cricket in school, which is nice. But no, they, I've never pushed them in anything. Sean was always the best player in town at football or rugby or cricket. Sean became the hospital coach. You know, uh, he's on the telly. It's been very hard for them, and I've never pushed them. I've just let them decide what they want to do, encourage them, but let them do their own thing. Both boys are into golf. They love their golf. Uh, so do I. So that's a real plus for me with them growing up. And my daughter's just uh, achieved her black belt in karate. So at 15, wow, it's okay. quite a significant achievement. Wow. Yeah. And I mean, I guess there are all kinds of presidents of, of, of cricket clubs strikes me that you take your <laughs> role very very importantly and it's 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 kind of means a lot to you it means a lot to me because as i said it was the it's my own i mean my only club in terms of cricket only ever played for british steel chorus tata whatever you want to call it so yeah and i i've been unable to give the time that I, over the years that i would like to have you know because of my career i've been the secretary before i've been the captain I couldn't offer any much more than a presidential role and I'm not, I don't want to be just a figurehead so as I say I run a golf day which brings in nice money I front the scow factor which is what we call our Christmas variety show I've dressed up as Rihanna I've dressed up as Pink I've been the Little Mix um, Tom Jones Stereophonics I've sang I've played the guitar I've danced you know everything that it takes to raise the money over in those four nights plus the golf day plus getting sponsorship in anything i can do to give back 
that way, then then I will. And as I say, you know, even though I can't fulfil much anymore on the field, one because my body's packed in a little bit, but it's time. That then I still managed to play for the first, second, thirds, and fourths last seasons at 51. So I mean, I, you know, I'm hanging in there a little bit and helping out. But it's a great club, and we got another crop of kids coming through now, which. You know, we really got a lot of hope for. We're in Division One of the South Wales Cricket League. We've been up the Premier B, didn't quite make it there, but the boys want to go there again. And you know, if we can get some youngest to push through, who knows? Who knows? And looking at cricket generally now today, do you still feel you sound like a very positive sort of man? Do you still feel positive about future for cricket and uh, and cricket in Portalbot as well? I think cricket in Portalbot is. Um, it's been stronger. Uh, there's a lot more players in the town from within the town. There was strong rivalry between ourselves, Portolba Cricket Club, which has arguably been the premier cricket club in the town. Still, you know, historically um, and recently, you know, they have their own clubhouse and bar, which generates an income. They, you know, they're, they're up there in the Premier Division. Margam, Baglan, Carmarthen, or, or, or before Britain Ferries, quite close. It will survive because because of the people that I talked about in each club. They they will ensure it survives in some some form. I do worry about the modern society and young kids' uh, ability to sustain their focus and attention and um, loyalty these days. I think eight hours on a cricket field. For the modern youngster, it's very appealing. I think they'd rather do something else, something shorter, live, go to the gym, work in a bar, work in McDonald's, you know, uh, go to CrossFit, um, you know, mountain biking, you know, coasting, whatever it is, there's so many so many more things available than, than when we were kids. And the attraction of Standing in a field for a couple of hours and maybe getting a couple of overs or maybe chasing the odd ball and then getting one chance of batting and when you're up you're spending the next couple of hours sitting watching as a youngster or umpiring or scoring. Yeah. As a youngster I lived and breathed and loved it. But I can see I can see the potential issues there now. I can and I I do worry about that, you know, and, and I think across all sports the numbers are are a concern maybe between the ages of 12 to 18 which we where we need to capture them and they they waver between one thing and another there's lots of juniors in all sports same with us with cricket you know we've got a good healthy junior but then what happens to them then when i don't know social issues creep in girls dare i say or boys and um they they get distracted so i do i i do worry a little bit about that County cricket, I worry about. I don't think we have a strong Glamorgan side. We, you know, we grew up with strong Glamorgan sides who were successful Test cricketers. Don't know where the next Test Test cricket is coming from with Glamorgan. Um, I still watch Test cricket. I go to Lords every year. I got friends. I got a friend of mine's on the committee of Middlesex Cricket Club. We went to the Ashes. Me and those mates I mentioned earlier in 2017 wasn't a very good Ashes because we got pumped. But we still enjoyed it, and we enjoy going to Lords, and we support England, we support Glamorgan. But I, I, yeah, I, I do worry about participation as much as anything, and, and the weather. You, you know, you start start early now and standing around playing cricket in you. I don't know. 
do worry about it. Maybe I'm too getting a bit old. <laughs> I don't know. Um, you spoke very movingly recently at Alan's funeral. Um, and clearly there are moments when, when talking about individuals that kind of can overwhelm us sometimes. Mm. Um, I just want, want you to finish really, perhaps with a little, perhaps a, a, another thought about Alan and, and, and what his sporting kind of history meant to you personally. Wow. So the, the, the first real recollection, without him being Uncle Alan, was a Carmarthen Boys Club up here. I was a young soccer player, maybe 10, year, 10 11, 12 year old, and um, my father had asked Alan to come up and present some of the trophies, and he got up, my dad, to say, uh, we got a very special guest, Alan Reese. Now, a lot of you wouldn't know Alan Reese. But he did this, 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 and this, and that made me sort of take note, really. And I would imagine ninety-nine percent of the people in that room, the kids anyway in that room, would have wouldn't have batted an eye. But those sort of things resonated with me, you know. I wanted to be somebody like Alan. I wanted to play professional sport always. I was the one sneaking the. Uh, the portable TV in my bedroom to watch sports night on a Wednesday, whether it was speedway, boxing, snooker, whatever. And I played all the sports I could. I watched like the test, I watched the whole of the 1984 Olympics, start to finish, you know, every single thing. So Alan was the type of guy who I'd look and think, wow, I want to be like him. But he's also a very humble man and a very generous man and a very sort of down to earth sort of fella. Uh, a likeable guy who give you time and you know so I, I again talked to people when he came back to play for British Steel he was a Glamorgan player and you know they talk about you know they talk about a legend coming and walking out and and then you go up I go up north or I speak to somebody like John Bentley or again you talk to the older fraternity I go on all these dinners and, they, uh, and I mention that about Alan Reese. Alan Reese, 1962, all those guys, remember him guys, but I was like, oh God, you know. And so it sort, of, it sort of hits me really that a guy that was so humble and did so much had, had little notoriety, but I think that's the sort of thing he wanted. And I think that's quite refreshing in modern day social media, star chasing, fame thing, that here's a guy who could turn his hand to any sport player at the highest level and have his jerseys in the drawer, like, like I said in the funeral. I'd ask him to do where have you kept your medals, you know, what what about the jersey when you played against Scotland? And he said, Oh, they're in a drawer somewhere at home. You know? And that's the sort of guy he was. You know. And and you speak to Alan George, he'd say the same. He'd make the tea in the room. Somebody curling something down under mile an hour, Alan George the other end, and he'd be the other end, just look you take a single if you want and I'll take him, you know. That that for me was fantastic like you know and, and a teacher you know without knowing it um you know would offer advice and give you technical like i spoke again about him giving me a few tips about squash you know and you know what a what a fantastic bloke and uh, we should make more people like that i think you know sean thanks for your time it's been lovely to chat to talk all night <laughs> <laughs> thank you Many thanks to Sean for spending some time with us and for talking so intelligently about the game and his hometown club. 
Next week's episode remains currently a bit of a mystery. We have a few irons in the fire, so watch this space. But I can guarantee that whoever we're speaking to, there'll be some more stories about the great game of cricket in the great country of Wales. Hoilvaur, bye for now. Story you have Nigadani. Macrosic Gisilti. A Bosch MWC pod nineteen twenty one at gmail dot com. Nate Elchintidal in Facebook, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast. Nay, Intidal in Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Do you have a story you'd like to share with us? If so, please contact email MWC pod nineteen twenty one at gmail.com or go to our Facebook page, Museum of Welsh Cricket Podcast, or our Twitter, at Welsh Cricket Pod.